Hey everyone, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland in Public Square. I'm, yeah, round of applause for all of you in the sun. <laughs> I'm Andy Chow, I'm the news editor at the Ohio Public Radio State House News Bureau. It's Tuesday, June 21st, and it is my pleasure to introduce the first forum and a four-part series here in Public Square where we will be talking with some of our region's new leadership. Today, we will see what is up next in state policy advocacy. Policy Matters Ohio is a statewide policy research institute with offices in both Columbus and Cleveland. It was founded just over two decades ago with a vision to build a more vibrant, equitable, sustainable, and inclusive Ohio. Today, you can find Policy Matters staff releasing hard-hitting policy research, testifying in Ohio's Senate and House chambers, or collaborating with statewide organizers and advocates. Policy Matters is known as the People's Think Tank due to their strat strategic platform that aims to lift up all working families. In 2020, just before the pandemic hit, Hannah Halbert took over the reins as Policy Matters' next executive director. She is just the second to lead the organization after its founder, Amy Hanauer, was tapped to run the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy in Washington, D.C. Hannah grew up in rural Kentucky, raised by her mother who held several jobs and wrote obituaries for the local newspaper. Her stepdad worked as a coal miner. Hannah would go on to receive a bachelor's degree from Transylvania University, a master's in nonprofit management, and a law degree from Hamlin University. Hannah first joined Policy Matters in 2010 as a policy liaison in the organization's Columbus office. I remember when you first joined on, I was new there too, at the State House. She has led successful efforts to protect unemployment compensation benefits and advocate for workers against wage theft. Today, her life experiences shape her dedication to Policy Matters' mission of building an Ohio where everyone thrives. So what is up uh, next for state policy advocacy and how has the organization's work changed or not as the state house grows more divided? There's a preview of one of the questions you're gonna get. If you have any questions for Hannah, you can text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club. City Club staff will try to work them into the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club of Cle Cleveland, please join me in welcoming Hannah Halbert. <laughs> Hannah, thanks for being here. All right, Amy, thanks for, thanks for uh, interrogating me yeah. today. <laughs> and thanks to everyone at the City Club for putting uh, this together and the entire series together. I think it's going to be a really exciting summer to learn from others. It's very cool. And and uh, I think Cynthia said this earlier, you know, we can talk about policy and all the issues that you're working on, and we will. But first, let's just start with how did you come to this role? What, what path did you take to be sitting here today talking about Policy Matters Ohio? Oh, it's it's a it's a long, a long path, I think, Andy. Um, there's a long version of the story and the short version. Uh, internally, so I have worked at Policy Matters for a little over 10 years. And like Andy said, I started as a policy liaison and then researcher and then project director. So I've done almost every job there is to do in the organization, um, including making copies and hauling them over to the state house uh, in a little, trolley cart. Um, so in, in some ways, I'm really both surprised and, and honored to be sitting in this position. Um, I, like Andy said, I grew up in very rural Kentucky. Uh, this organization, the kinds of jobs, the sort of work that we do, I had no idea that this was a job. <laughs> I didn't know that this was a People could do this and get paid until I was like well into college. And uh, ironically enough, uh, the way I found out about policy organizations and think tanks was because of a, the Kentucky version of Policy Matters Ohio was participating in um, a, a solid waste sanitation worker organizing drive that I as a student activist was participating in. And, 
I was suddenly like, wait, you mean there's this whole other career path that might be possible? So it was always in my brain. Um, I, I wasn't sure if this is exactly where I would end up, but after being an organizer and getting frustrated with how hard people had to work just to get things like clean water in Eastern Kentucky, um, I went to law school and then after getting frustrated with how hard it was to get a fair deal for my clients who at that time were uh, people caught up in the foreclosure housing crisis, I started looking at, well, what, what do we need to do? How do we change the laws? How do you make the entire structure a little more in service of people? And so somehow I ended up here. <laughs> I gave you the long version. No, that was great. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I know that I love talking about state house issues, and I know you love talking about policy issues, but I know sometimes to the general public, it might seem like a concept that goes over their heads. But w in reality, you might hear a lot of hot button topics covered in the news that are social issues, but there are so many other issues happening at the state house that have the ability to impact everybody sitting on this lawn, everybody walking around public square right now. So what are some of the issues that you are fighting for, not only at the state house, but here locally? I, I mean, I think that you said some really important things there that I wanna uh, just underscore, is that a lot of times I think people are cut out of the policy conversation, or it's only uh, limited to a political conversation. Are you team blue or team red or team whatever? And that's something we're actively trying to work against at Policy Matters. We feel like that uh, demystifying, inviting people into the policy conversation, no matter where you're at. You know, you, you, I'm a lawyer, you don't have to be a lawyer, you shouldn't have to be a lawyer to partake in, in really the conversation about the rules that govern your life. And so that's something that's really critical to the work that we're doing at Policy Matters. Now what we're following, what we're trying to do, is we're trying to put forward a proactive slate of policy recommendations. We've uh, come up with our priorities in partnership with grassroots organizations all around the state. And what we learn from those partners and what we learn from the data is that people care about dignity at work, people care about taxes that are fair and are sufficient to, to do big things with. We need to do big things here in Ohio. We do that by pooling our resources through a fair and equitable tax system. People care about public education. Uh, people care about community wellness, having a vibrant community, community health, that you are going to be safe no matter if you're black or white, leaving your home, that you are going to get to come home that afternoon. So those are the things that we're following things that matter to all Ohioans, regardless of race, regardless of place. So let's talk about the thing that, that tends to, you know, a lot of people can understand the idea of minimum wage, and I know that's an issue that, well, and you can explain this a little bit more, that is an issue that must now be handled on the state level, correct? Because that's right. there is a new law that was passed where municipalities are not allowed to raise the minimum wage on their own. It has to be a statewide effort. So. What, a, what are Policy Matters' thoughts on raising the minimum wage? What would, you, what would you like to see as far as an increase, and how are you fighting for that? So uh, minimum wage is something that uh, the state of Ohio, uh, it, it, really it's a demonstration of what we could be doing together. So in 2006, Ohioans had minimum wage on the ballot, voted in favor of raising the minimum wage and also indexing that to inflation. So every year it will increase or change based on how inflation goes. So the problem with that though is that the increase we made back in 2006 wasn't enough to recapture all that we had lost since 1968. So Ohio is kind of treading water back to how it felt in 2006. And when we look at the data, when we see what most, many Ohioans are earning, we know that that's not enough. 
So uh, we looked at the 10 most common jobs in the state. Four of those job categories pay so little that a typical worker, should they be so fortunate to get 40 hours full time year round, would not be making enough money uh, to, to avoid the need for food assistance. They would still likely qualify for SNAP, our food assistance program. And so we don't think that's good enough. The people of Ohio should not have to work 40 hours a week and still not be able to get ahead. That's not what the minimum wage is for. We can do better. And so, you know, we've done some research. Please check it out on our website, policymattersohio.org. Sign up for our e-news. Um, that shows that a $15 minimum wage would significantly help many working people. We're not talking about teenagers. We're talking about people who are supporting families in Ohio. And so uh, right before the pandemic, you all, so much was, so much was in the pipeline. Before the pandemic, there was, an e there was a real effort to put a $15 minimum wage on the ballot. You know, Florida was able to get this done a couple years ago. Uh, there is no reason that if the state house, if the legislators won't do it, that the people of Ohio can't get it done together. And so we are optimistic that if folks can come together and make this a priority, we still have the ballot. And ultimately here in Ohio for now, that's ultimately where decisions can get made. So the pushback coming from conservative groups that also lobby mm -hmm. at the state house, and it's worth noting that the state house, le uh, the state legislature is the Republicans have a supermajority in the Ohio in the Ohio House and in the Ohio Senate. And conservative groups push back and say that if we raise the minimum wage, that could have an impact on the economy. That could make Ohio seem like uh, not a business-friendly state. What do you say to people with with that argument? It's just not, it's not true. <laughs> it's, just, it's just not true. So facts and our own history show us that decent worker protections and a decent tax code, so increasing taxes, are both possible. Uh, what it will do is make the economy more fair for all of us. There's a really shocking st statistic that every time I hear it, I'm like, that real, is that really right? Did we double check that? Did we triple check that in the office? And I have to write it down because it just is, it, it boggles my mind, is that the wage gap, the earnings gap between white and black Ohioans has grown, has tripled since 1979. So black Ohioans, so 2020, black Ohioans were paid $4.96 less than white Ohioans. That's tripled since 1979. We are going in reverse. And these kinds of policies, when we talk about increasing the minimum wage, making sure that work pays, that's what we're talking about. Like, we were doing better in our history. We want that for all Ohioans. So how do you get the dial to move if you're facing against a supermajority Republicans in the House and in the Senate that seems like they don't want to take up that issue? I'm looking out to the, the crowd here that's gathered, right? Because here in Ohio, we still have the ballot. We still have the vote. And ultimately, each and every one of you out there it's your call. I know it, it feels like that's becoming less and less of a possibility given what we have seen happen over the last year and so and sort of the increasing divisiveness, the increasing sort of divorce of the people uh, who are governing the state of Ohio and where most Ohioans are at in terms of the rules that they would like to see. But Ohio, you know, in 2006, put it on the ballot voted it through and that can happen again so you have this statewide strategy you've been pushing for statewide issues what new strategies have you been undertaking as far as getting the message out there and, and pushing through policy you know any um i have I, i'm feeling or trying to feel really big shoes <laughs> amy hanauer was such an important individual not just to policy matters, but to Cleveland. 
And one of the things on, as she was leaving, one of the things that she imparted to us as her staff, she was going through her office, taking out all of the old reports. And, you know, she got this old report out and she was like, my goodness, we just wrote the exact same thing. Oh, goodness. And so her thought was, we have always had the ideas, we have always had the policies, we've always had the facts, we've not necessarily had the power to make it happen in Ohio. And so what we've been thinking about, and a lot during the pandemic, is the role of community, of engaging with people, and, and this is probably maybe a scary word that I'm not supposed to mention in polite company, but we started thinking about power and how policy gets changed. And so you will see us much more engaged locally here in Cleveland. We have uh, deep partnerships with the Northeast Ohio Worker Center and the Guardians for Fair, Fair Work campaign. Uh, they are a grassroots organization here. If you have issues with uh, wage theft, if you think you're not getting paid for all the hours you're working, reach out to the Northeast Ohio Worker Center. They're trying to get a ordinance passed to increase uh, wage theft enforcement here in Cleveland, something that Cincinnati and Columbus has already done. Uh, we're working with uh, PB Clee which is Participatory Budgeting Cleveland. So a grassroots organization that simply thinks, hey, you know, the public, the residents should have some sort of role in how we spend public money. And so they're active in uh, creating a process to make that happen. So what are some things that would impact people here? What are some of the hot ticket items that you're working on. We talked about minimum wage, but what are, what's something that could really impact a lot of people who are sitting here today? Look, wage theft affects hundreds of thousands of Ohioans. I think the number is like 513,000 Ohioans have experienced a minimum wage violation alone. That's a huge number. And so the, the work that the Northeast Ohio Worker Center is engaged in will make it possible for the city to help hold employers accountable at the local level. So statewide, I think there's something like five investigators and one supervisor covering the entire state to investigate issues of wage theft. And uh, it's just not possible with that level of state investment. And so we're asking local municipalities, we're asking the city of Cleveland, uh, to, to pitch in to help those who are working here make sure that they get the money they are entitled to in their pocket. How, how would you ex explain wage theft? Is there a quick way of yeah. explaining what wage theft means? So wage theft, it can mean a lot of different things. Like if you're paid less than the minimum wage, right? If you are not paid for all of the time you work, so maybe you're not, you're being asked to like clock in only after uh, you get everything lined out for the day, hold off on clocking in. Can you clock out early, but, but can you put in a couple hours just to help everybody out? That, uh, those kinds of sneaky things where you're working, but you're actually not getting paid, you're off the clock. Um, overtime, if you're, if you're entitled to overtime and you're not getting overtime, if you are an employee, but you're being treated as an independent contractor, that's like a misclassification issue. It's a lot. It is a substantial amount of money that's sort of being softened off of uh, and out of the pocketbooks of working people um, that we could really address, we could do more for. And so Cleveland, um, Cleveland could pass an ordinance. Columbus has uh, recently passed one during the pandemic. They have a wage theft, theft commission. So there's some assistance in uh, figuring out if, if there is a problem in your workplace. And you can always, the, the Northeast Ohio Worker Center, they have a great website up. You can, you can get involved with them um, and join. Join in and learn what other people, other working people are interested in uh, doing together here to make Cleveland a more vibrant place.
So whenever journalists are covering something that Policy Matters is doing, myself included, we tend to call Policy Matters a liberal-leaning think tank. Is that a fair assessment? How would you describe Policy Matters? Is it a liberal-leaning think tank? All right, I'm going to give the lawyer answer. Andy, it depends. <laughs> I think sometimes those words in some context can be used to sort of look down the nose or it, there's more meaning behind those words than just a simple descriptor. What I know and what we believe at Policy Matters is that we are, that we have no problem in being called progressive think tank. We hope that one day um, policies like fair pay, uh, not stealing wages, uh, making sure kids get fed, school funding that is, that is constitutional at the bare minimum, if not world class, that those are not just sort of progressive ideas or ideas that get tagged with a uh, label that may have all kinds of different meanings for people, that those are just good ideas about how we organize and structure our communities. Um, and I'll say that, you know, in, in my experience at Policy Matters, we have had a lot of bipartisanship uh, commitment to some of the policies that we've worked on. I mean, the fair school funding uh, plan passed in the last, state budget. Now it's not fully funded, but it's close. It's a big step. Uh, we have WorkShare in Ohio, which uh, was a big program from Policy Matters Ohio. So uh, it helps insulate people against layoffs during big economic downturns. Lots of employers and employees use this program during the pandemic to stay attached to work during all of this. Uh, and also have income coming in. So, you know, there's no uh, red team, blue team, R or D team on, on good policy ideas. Um, and so it's, it, as long as the label isn't used to, as a de something derogatory and sometimes depending on the context, I think it is like, we are, we are progressive policy, and the goal is that someday those progressive ideas will just be ideas, the way things work. Moving, uh, switching back to the statewide, <laughs> switching back to the statewide aspect, a lot of the news that ends up getting a lot of attention out of the state house uh, can be social issues like abortion, uh, gun-related issues. How does that impact the work that you do, and, and how do you, how does that impact you trying to work with both parties in, in trying to get your policy passed? It's complicated, and uh, I think that that has been increasingly divisive uh, since my tenure at Policy Matters, you know, in, since in 2010, not just the tenure as director, I think it's been increasingly divisive. Um, it, it's really complicated because if we're talking about, say, abortion or, uh, you know, gender identity, those things cannot be separated from economic dignity, from things like public health, from things like Oh, I don't know, uh, the ability to, to vote even has come under a big question mark in the state. It's become like this hot button issue. Um, you know, as, and I'll speak as a woman, you know, my economic prospects are greatly dependent on my ability to be able to control the most basic aspects of my body. My health care is, definitely dependent on uh, being able to control the most as basic aspects of my body. Now, we are not the people that do the research and writing for this, right? There's other groups um, who, are, who, are, who are the experts in these areas, but we don't ignore the impact that these uh, bills are going to have on people. 
you know, if we're going to have a vibrant, equitable, inclusive state, and I think it would be hard to find someone who's like, no, no, I'm all good on vibrancy. Like, these things matter. So we, we don't necessarily, we're not the experts on it. Uh, we certainly consider uh, bodily autonomy uh, a central tenet of freedom. Um, uh, and, and hope that, you know, through looking at the world that we do ride on, taxes, state budget, the economy, and looking at the ways policy really can lift everyone up and include everyone, what we hope is that we're finding the places of commonality, of common interests, that we can limit, reduce, call people in, and like push back on what I think is some of the, the more cynical um, the, the more cynical ideas and the more sort of cynical attempts to use these issues that are so personal and so important to people for political gain and to divide each other. And so even if we're not directly speaking on these issues, we're trying to create a bridge to bring people together so that we all can have a broader future. And I, I, don't know if, I don't know if there is an answer to this, but a lot of the things that you just mentioned, especially when it comes to the economic side, like the dignity of work, things that can be pro-labor, pro-unions, there used to be a whole swath of voters in Ohio that would lean blue or lean, lean towards those policies because of the things that you just listed, but now have sort of voted against candidates who support those policies because those candidates also support the social issues that you just talked about. How do you get your message out to people or to voters who might gravitate towards that economic standpoint, economic policy platform, but not necessarily the social platform? Um, I hope one of the ways that we do that is actually talking to those voters and those people. And we do that by talking about things that matter uh, to them and to their communities and that matter to folks who are also deeply engaged in fighting those social programs. Um, having a fair tax code is critical to all of the things that you just mentioned. It's also critical to uh, schools. And so that's the, that's what I think is the value add or like the niche that policy matters can live in is that while so many things, certainly in the political world, even, and also in the policy world as well, are seeking to intentionally divide people on various social cleavages, in groups and out groups, and uh, you name it, there's a, there's a political wedge and there's probably a fundraising letter someone has sent out about it, we want to bring people together. We want to solve problems. And uh, we think that's a message that's really gotten stripped away from a lot of the discourse, that we really are, um, you know, this is a slogan. I don't, I don't even know when or where this came from. Like, the better together idea, that's true. Like, we build big things whenever we pull our resources, our talents, our hopes, our dreams, that's what we do. And that has to be our focus um, for our future. We've talked about how economic issues tend to not get a lot of play in the media, but recently a topic that has been discussed a lot is one, inflation, and then two, gas prices. So two big things that are impacting a lot of people here, impacting people's wallets and at the, at the gas pump, impacting people when they pay for things. What is your message to people right now as the country, as the state, city, country are dealing with inflation? Yeah, oh, it's a, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, here's the thing. The, whether it's food or gas or prices, it is eating up the, the very slim wage gains that we've seen 
over the last couple of years. Uh, there's a really great uh, report summary of that. It's in that top, uh, top 10 jobs report. We look at that. We show how the, the wages of uh, different, different occupations have changed since 2019 and 2000. So if you want to check that out. Um, so it's, it's putting families who were possibly finally for once starting to see a little bit of headway, um, uh, setting them back. And my concern is that we have very little imagination in terms of the policy solutions that we're willing to put forward uh, to, to solve these things. So all we hear is immediately like, well, the, the Fed's going to raise interest rates. So, and that's going to have a, a real impact in terms of longer term em employment, uh, purchasing homes, loans. Uh, and that's not the only tool. You know, uh, there's been proposals here in Ohio to do direct payments to families. Uh, certainly the gas tax, which I, I think is really wrong-headed and sort of a let's just use the typical tools that we always use to produce the typical results that we always get kind of approach. But, you know, federally, they could do a lot in terms of taxation, in terms of getting producers who are letting fields lay fallow to produce. Um, and uh, holding inventory, watching price gouging. There's a lot of policy tools that policymakers could employ if they choose to do so. And ultimately, the question of do they choose to do so uh, rests a lot with, with the pub you know, public demand. Uh, can we hold them accountable? And those sorts of questions. But it is... Um, it's pretty, you know, things are pretty tough out here for working families in Ohio. Well, we're about to begin the audience Q&A. I'm Andy Chow, news editor for the Ohio Public Radio and Television State House News Bureau. Today we are enjoying the first forum in this year's City Club and Public Square series, where we are talking with some of our region's new leadership. We are joined today by Hannah Halbert, executive director at Policy Matters Ohio. Uh, we welcome questions from everyone. So those sitting in the sun, if you want to fire questions our way, please do. Uh, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining uh, via our live stream at cityclub.org. If you have a question here in the square, please form a line behind the designated microphone stand over here in front of us where our staff members are standing. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club. You can also text them to 330 541-5794. Here's that number again if you're ready. 330-541-5794. And our staff will try to work it into the program. So are we ready for our first question? Thank you. My name is Michael Dover. I'm a emeritus faculty member in social work in Cleveland State. And I once thought about trying to be more closely associated with your group. It's great. I'm glad you're here again, like Amy was here before after she was attacked for her ideas in the Columbus press. Um, I don't want to put you on a spot because it's more national policy than state, but what you said triggered me. There's an article in Jacobin right now about the Fed interest rate increase and how it really reflects an attack on workers' wages, that somehow the, the head of the Fed said we need to bring workers' wages down. Um, the you know, with the last time, two times we had a serious problem in this country, the late 70s and during World War II. In World War II, we had wage and price controls. Now, wage and price controls are absolutely constitutional, including it would be constitutional to say we're going to say that wages have to have a certain kind of differential between top executive salaries and lower workers' salaries. Similar issues face all of these anchor institutions here that claim that they are the engine of progress in our community. Is the Gini coefficient of inequality of their compensation structures higher or lo lo lower than the regional? Now that's a local issue, that's a state issue. When you enjoy property tax exemptions, should you have to pay a living wage? That would be a way of doing wage yes. control at the state level. So what can we do at the state level and the federal level to make it the law of the land 
that we have more equality in our wages and compensation structures. So I guess that is a legitimate question for you. Thank you, Hannah. Well, well, thank you. And I think you mentioned several things, and I think we have a paper for almost all of them. So we do a CEO pay report, uh, usually toward the end of the year, that looks at the pay difference between typical workers versus CEOs, and it is just astronomical and growing. Uh, we talk about uh, tax abatements and tax incentives a lot, and uh, the idea that that's the only way to get things growing or to do development is just, it's, we leave so much on the table. We absolutely think that uh, those kinds of gifts from the public should include uh, strings attached, strings about wages, employee and worker treatment, and also uh, green or environmental strings and protections, and community strings. So things like community benefit agreements, ways that there can be community participation, especially on those major deals, those major development projects. Um, so that's pretty well in line with what we're thinking. I mean, some of the question on, your point about price controls and sort of putting some floors and ceilings around compensation, you know, that's not that far <laughs> afield from saying we have other tools. We have other tools. Um, we can have arguments or disagreements about what exactly those tools should be, but thinking about increasing wages and increasing our wage floor thinking about requiring big developers who get lavish incentives from public sources to have high levels of compensation for their employees, pay a living wage, fair treatment. Those feel like the minimum that we should be, we should be doing and engaged in. And so uh, if, if anything, federally, it would be really great to even see such things in the conversation but all we get is let's cut the gas tax, let's raise interest rates, things that either will make it harder for people to work or reach full employment or maintain full employment in the country, which makes lots of other you know, downstream issues like raising wages harder, um, and then drive more profit up to the folks who are enjoying a pretty good deal right now anyway. So. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you may have been reading our e-news. <laughs> yep, next question. Hi, uh, this is Lou. My question is a little bit more direct and maybe not as sophisticated. Now, we have All noticed right. state of Ohio, the current legislators we have, they love to put on the legislations we don't need. All the social issues right now we see, all those, the topic you just mentioned, they all got negative impacts on us because of the legislation they put out, which we definitely don't need. They actually are counterproductive. They are actually harmful. Doesn't matter short term, long term. But how come these people can ignore that easily? Should we have a study about all these state governments? Uh, of course, I mean, why all these uh, uh, things is happening throughout the whole country, not just Ohio? When we have this pandemic, the rental assistance issued by the federal government, lots of states actually return them back to U.S. Department of Treasury. So should we have a study on how, how these state governments actually doing to people so we can even have a, a clearer pictures that what people should do yeah. from every little bit of thing to get them out of these state governments, all state governments. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I think it, uh, one of the things that uh, does keep me up at night or really one of the things that I'm worried about uh, for Ohio, definitely, but also for the larger um, national conversation, is that the policymakers are 
bringing to the floor, introducing legislation, taking very extreme positions on things that are not in line with the values, concerns, and voting decisions that their constituents would make. And that's very true here in Ohio as well. And we've also seen a lot of uh, public corruption, very open, Andy's covered, <laughs> Andy could write the paper on that because he has covered it from the get-go uh, on some of the things around the energy, First Energy, House Bill 6 uh, scandals. And there's been so little accountability. And so it is very hard to see how we pull out of that when there's that gulf. And I do think that there is a very, this is a very cynical position, but I think that there's a fundraising reason that this divisive stuff keeps coming up. I think there's a maintenance of power reason, the P word again, I know that's, um, for this divisive stuff to come up. Um, and that's something that really ultimately is, is something that we're trying to figure out together at Policy Matters. We know that we, we can do better. We know we can combat that stuff by pulling more people in, getting people engaged in what's going on in their community. And I know that's also hard I mean, it's hard to live in a community um, year after year, be asked to, you know, this is it's all the most important election ever, and then see very little change or see things get worse. And so I know I'm asking a lot of folks to say, let's get engaged. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about the policies that actually matter to you. Let's meet up with your neighbors. Let's try to reclaim what our democracy looks like. Um, and it's that gap that is driving a lot of that, that shift in our thinking and in our organization. So I think you're right. There, there is something uh, very concerning whenever those that govern are so far apart from those that are governed and the, the layers of accountability are just cont continually eroding. And as hard as it is, the only backstop to that is us. <laughs> it's, it's all of us stepping up, showing up, having the conversations, and uh, keeping the, uh, the obligation and duty to stay engaged. And if you want to know more about the, the state of the state house right now, of the people who are in the 99 Ohio House districts, the 33 Ohio Senate districts, you can Google Ohio redistricting process, and you can look up, there's been a lot of reporting on that, but then I'll, I'll let you learn that on your own. But there's a whole bunch of controversy about how the districts have been redrawn. And just to put a plug out there for every Ohio voter, there is a primary on August 2nd this year. Very unusual for a, a statewide primary, but there's a primary August 2nd where you'll be electing the uh, party nominees for the state legislative races. So it's, it's expected to be Thanks. a low turnout. So it's, ex yeah. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for, and if you're not following Andy on social media, if you're not on Twitter, you are missing out. You get everything. Like if you want to feel like you're an insider, you should follow Andy. We really do, it did kind of like start at the same time. So, yeah, yeah. but that, I hope everyone got their calendars out and like added that date. Cause it's, it's, a, it's an unusual year. Uh, next question. Hi Hannah, thanks so much um, for all the clear and fact-based research and analysis we can always count on from Policy Matters. I wonder if you could um, talk for a second about what you and your colleagues see as the connection between access and high-quality childcare and our economic um, circumstances coming out of COVID in particular. There seems to be a real struggle in Columbus around how to think of childcare as an essential economic component. So I'd love to hear your take on it. This is the thing where, <laughs> like, okay, the, the concept that childcare <laughs> 
is uh, in saying, hey, we should have high quality, safe, accessible, affordable childcare for everyone who needs and wants it. The idea that that gets lumped in as like some radical proposition or is, is really, you know, outlandish to me. This should just be common sense. We can't work if we don't have childcare workers. And that is, it's just, a, I, I'm so frustrated by it, I'm a little flustered by it because it's, it just makes so much sense. And I don't see how we can have an economy, how people can fully participate in the economy if we don't have childcare. Now, there's a cost to everything. And having affordable childcare is going, there's going to be a public cost to that. And having high quality childcare, there's going to be a public cost to that. What Ohio has been doing is saying that childcare workers should be bearing most of that cost in the form of depressed wages. What we say is that if we want to have a vibrant economy with a workforce that has meaningful workforce petition participation rates, we got to figure out a way to share that cost and treat those who have some of the most important jobs taking care of kids in our communities with respect. They got to get paid. They got to have the resources they need to get the training and education to be able to do, you know, the job that they're already doing. Um, and we can actually pay for it. You know, Ohio's not broke. We do not have to choose between having things like childcare and uh, K through 12 education or um, childcare and uh, having an effective need-based aid system to get people into college, right? We're leaving about eight billion with a B on the table each year due to the kinds of tax cuts we've seen since 2005. So the idea that we can't pay for this, that we can't actually have a functional childcare system, it, it, it just is not borne out by the facts. Um, and we saw this in the pandemic. We saw people who were having to take care of childcare responsibilities, care for aging parents and also figure out how to work from home and we can have a much more vibrant that word again vibrant structure to support people so that everyone can have a decent quality of life it it is just a um it, it's one of those things whenever you hear about it i'm like how are we not doing this how are we not doing this and the idea that we have to trade quality for access or trade worker compensation for affordability, it's, it's just not true. We should stop treating this as some sort of zero-sum game. We, we got the money. And I think, is there a question online? Yep. So thank you for your time. And this is a text question. This person wants to know, with years and years of a supermajority in the state house, how do you stay optimistic in your work? And with the direction of the country, how do you push forward knowing things seem to be getting worse for so many? All right, I'm gonna be real honest. I think it's really hard. I think it's hard. Also think that um, as, as a person who's had the benefits of uh, that public support, you know, social security dependency, survivor benefits, that's why I, college was a possibility, right? Um, public K through 12 teachers that were phenomenal. Uh, that's why I thought, hey, maybe, maybe the world's bigger than my hauler, right? My hauler's pretty good, but you know, the world's pretty great too. And so uh, there are times when I look at the disconnect that's happening, the lack of accountability, what's gone on with redistricting that Andy has mentioned, and it, look, it feels bleak. I'm, I'm just 
that's where I'm at. But I have a duty, I have an obligation to expand that bridge, to build that ladder, to bring others along so that everyone has the kind of, you know, the chance to live their dream. This is a dream for me, as wild as that is. Like, <laughs> this is kind of a dream. It's, it's really a thing. And um, I want that for everybody. I want that whether you're in here in downtown Cleveland. I want that whether you're a, you know, white kid growing up in a holler of eastern Kentucky, uh, a black kid here in Cleveland. Like, you should have the opportunity. And that's what keeps me going. And I know that we've had harder times before in this country and we did big things together. I mean, uh, it, it is possible. Even in Ohio, 2006, we raised the minimum wage. Even in the budget cycle. You know, it's not perfect, but our schools are gonna be funded in a little bit, uh, a little fairer. That's gonna change the lives of kids. And so it's that duty of, duty to be optimistic, duty to do the work duty to take care of my neighbors like they took care of me when I needed it. So it's rough, but um, we've done it before. We're gonna do big things again, uh, and we're gonna do them together. Can we get a round of applause for Hannah? Well, today we're in Public Square in downtown Cleveland listening to the first forum in the City Club in Public Square series. We just heard from Hannah Halbert, Executive Director at a Policy Matters Ohio. Support for the City Club in Public Square comes from RPM and Thomas Hine. Our City Club in the Community series is also made possible by Bank of America. We appreciate your partnership and generous support. You can join them in supporting City Club's mission by making a contribution online, becoming a member, or texting the word donate to 216-616-CLUB. That's 216-616-2582 and follow a few easy steps to make your donation. This Friday, June 24th, the City Club will be back at 850 Euclid to welcome Pulitzer Prize and Peabody Award-winning journalist Hank Klibanoff. He will be discussing his work to solve civil rights era cold cases and the importance of uncovering restless and relevant truth. A few tickets are still available for this forum and you can purchase, purchase them and learn more at cityclub.org. Next, next Tuesday, June, June 28th, the City Club will be back in the square. We will hear from Joyce Peng Huang and her fresh perspective on Cleveland's next director of city planning. Chanel Smith-Wiggum will moderate uh, the conversation there. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Hannah, and thank you, members and friends of the City Club. I'm Andy Chow, and this forum is now adjourned.